Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now, let's dig in. Last Friday's hearing in the Idaho 4 case saw defendant Brian Koberger, who's accused of taking the lives of the four students, Kaylee, Maddie, Ethan, and Zana, show up in a suit and tie. A whole new look for him. Gone was the orange prison garb, and in its place were a blue suit and coordinated tie. Because of interest in the case and the media and public scrutinizing Koberger's every move, every facial twitch, every lip movement, every everything, I'm sure his defense team wants to start changing the narrative. Take the incarcerated person out of the prison wear, polish him up in a suit, and voila, maybe more people will see him in the light of his current state, which is presumed innocence. Personally, I thought he washed up pretty well. Say what you will about Koberger, but the dude has some nice hair. However, I feel my coffee coming up as I say that because of the crime he's been accused of. If I were in the same room as BK, my heart would be pounding out of fear and terror. Frankly, he scares me, and I wonder what his attorney, Ann Taylor, really thinks about sitting next to him. Having said all that, I will also say that Koberger looked tense to me. His facial muscles were moving, and his lips were moving in and out like a puffer fish. So I am guilty of scrutinizing his every movement. I'll just admit it. I also felt that he was very aware of the camera and was watching it out of the corner of his eye. Friday's hearing was to discuss whether the gag order should be amended or left in place, and whether or not to allow cameras in future court hearings and in the courtroom during Koberger's upcoming trial in October. The hearing drove home one thing. No one is happy with the media coverage of the case. A coalition of media outlets is frustrated with the gag order because it's pretty much cut them off from getting any new information to report on. Koberger and his defense team want the gag order to remain in place and to keep cameras out of the courtroom because they're worried that the enormous amount of coverage on the case has created a mob mentality where most people want to convict Koberger without giving him a fair trial, and then they want to push him out in front of a firing squad as soon as possible. The prosecutors are also gunning to keep the gag order in place and cameras out of the courtroom. They too express concern that additional coverage of the case will make it hard to conduct a fair trial. They want Koberger to get a fair trial, not so that he can be found not guilty, but rather so that if he is convicted, the verdict will not later be overturned on appeal. Even Lataw County District Court Judge John Judge, who oversaw the hearing and will oversee the trial, 
is upset about TikTok, YouTube, and television coverage of the case. He said he wished for more explanatory and balanced coverage like that he's seen in local media outlets. Judge Judge said, quote, that would be nice to see more of that than the sensationalizing that we are seeing in the national media, end quote. So pretty much the only people who want the gag order amended or lifted altogether are, one, the media, two, the Gonsalves family and their attorney, Shannon Gray, and three, a lot of us in the public who are simply fascinated by the case. I don't want to know everything if it's going to threaten Koberger getting a fair trial. Now, what was most fascinating to me about the latest hearing was that the least interesting object, if you will, in the courtroom was Brian Koberger. Once you saw him in the suit and the tie, once he sat down, he sort of faded into the space. Of course, part of the reason for that was that he was hard to see. Only his profile was visible and he didn't speak at all during the hearing. The stars of the show were the presiding judge and the Gonsalves family attorney, Shannon Gray. Judge Judge was gracious enough to apologize to the victim's families for mispronouncing Kaylee and Zana's names in the previous hearing. He explained that he had suffered about a food poisoning the night before, had not slept well, and thus was not in great form that day. He also admitted to suffering from nerves. All of this served to make the judge a very likable character. He displayed humility and kindness and was willing to admit fault in front of the camera. Judge Judge also went on record to say that Koberger standing silent and not entering his own plea at the arraignment hearing was not unusual. He explained that standing silent was well within Koberger's rights and it should not be viewed in any nefarious sense. As for the Gonsalves family attorney, Shannon Gray, he came across as a fierce bulldog. He did not hold back when addressing the judge, and he unleashed a number of accusations against Latah County Magistrate Court Judge Megan Marshall, who put the original gag order in place on January 3rd, and the even stricter one that came later on January 13th. After Koberger was arrested, Marshall prohibited prohibited attorneys in the case, including those representing victims' families and witnesses from speaking to the press. Gray felt that the gag order was amended to include the attorneys of victims' families because Judge Marshall was trying to silence him in particular, and the Gonsalves family, who were critical of the investigators prior to Koberger's arrest. Gray was arguing that neither he nor the Gonsalves family should be stifled from talking to the press because they're not expected to testify at trial. Gray told the judge that no one in the Gonsalves family has ever been interviewed by the investigators and that if they were to testify, they could only share information as to their feelings about the crime's aftermath, that they had no evidence to share about the crime itself. Gray also said that he's never seen poor communication between a prosecutor and a victim's family than what he's witnessed with this prosecution team. Gray said, quote, I've never seen a poor line of communication. Gray was criticizing prosecutor Bill Thompson for failing to communicate with the Gonsalves family. Gray made it seem like he feels that the prosecutor is punishing the Gonsalveses for criticizing law enforcement and their efforts in the beginning to track down the perpetrator. And although Gray didn't say it, it's also possible that the prosecutors are angry because through their attorney, the Gonsalves family and the Mogans have 
opened the door to suing the city of Moscow. So it sounds like there's an adversarial relationship between the prosecutors and the Gonsalves family and their attorney. This is unfortunate because you'd think the prosecutors would want to support the victims' families and to offer an open line of communication. But we know that the Gonsalves family has been the most vocal of all the families. They've done several interviews. It's possible the prosecutors are afraid that if they shared inside information with the family, the family might go on television and share it with the public. So I can see both sides to this issue. Judge Judge was arguing back to Gray that it is possible the Gonsalves family members could testify during the trial. He mentioned them likely having to testify during the penalty phase. That phase will occur if the prosecutors decide to go for the death penalty. During the penalty phase, families are allowed to make victims' impact statements and to address the convicted perpetrator. The judge at one point suggested to Gray that he could solve the gag order problem by maybe coming up with a list of subjects and topics that the families and their attorneys could talk to the press about. Gray, however, shot back saying that he didn't think the judge had the authority to do that. And the judge replied, quote, I think I do have the authority. In fact, I know I do, end quote. It was a contentious moment. Shannon Gray ain't afraid of nobody. As for cameras in the courtroom, the media coalition argued that the lack of cameras in the courtroom during the Lori Vallow trial not only didn't reduce public interest in the case, but it created doubt in the proceedings because the public couldn't watch for themselves and instead had to obtain the information secondhand. While that's true, we know that the recordings from each day of the trial were available at the end of each day. So while we couldn't see what was going on in the courtroom, we were able to hear what was said. The prosecutors who are against cameras in the courtroom outlined their concerns saying that there are some sensitive witnesses who would likely be intimidated, harassed, or harmed by a live broadcast of the trial. I believe they might be talking about Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen, the two surviving roommates. The prosecution also expressed concerns about the jurors and witnesses possibly watching the courtroom proceedings during their off hours, which of course we know they are strictly forbidden from doing. The judge said that he's never excluded cameras from the courtroom before, and he remains open-minded about the issue. Ultimately, though, Judge Judge declined to make any rulings on Friday. Instead, he said he would make a written ruling on the issues after reviewing the written briefs and considering all the arguments. So there was a ton of hype going into the hearing, and things felt very deflated by the hearing's end because basically no decisions were made. That's all for today. I will see you next time on Bed Crime Stories. Now do me a favor, smash that like button because, well, it's Sunday and I'm here talking to you. What do you think?